0: Welcome to What the If. I am your erstwhile guide, Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker. My goal is to get the word erstwhile into as many episodes as I can. With me, Matt Stanley.
1: Less erstwhile, but I'll take what I can get.
0: (laughs) And remind me again, what does first while mean? (laughs) Um, Forthright and reliable. And speaking of forthright and reliable, uh, our special guest today returning,
2: Robin George Andrews. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Forthright sounds like I sort of demand things. Um, (laughs) Very demanding. Well, only if... Only if I get trapped in a in a lift with an astrologer, which has happened before, that was terrifying. Oh, now we have to hear that story. Oh it, well, it was more like it was fun, funny for a bit, just because my friend who is an astrophysicist was having a sort of panic attack in the corner. But it, <laughs> <laughs> and um, but it was just like, I, I, it was one of those moments you think like, I don't really believe in any high power of anything, but I feel like this is definitely punishment for something. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, the whole, like, oh, but I think he's a Libra, but actually, but then I'm a Scorpio, so really... Anyway, there was that for 20 minutes. Terrifying.
0: You know, that's, uh takes us... But the the belief in retribution by a higher power takes us right to this week's <laughs> If, based on uh, an article you just wrote
2: about seismology. And tell us about that. As is well known, we haven't invented time travel yet. Or we have, um, <laughs> you know, uh, and and that it's I've been kept very secret or... Anyway, it's gone horribly wrong. Um, but... Aliens. Aliens. Yes. The aliens have taken it back. It's best game. <laughs> That's a good. Thing. Repo. Repo aliens. <laughs> yeah. They're like, you've, you've used it irresponsibly. <laughs> you know. Anyway. Yes. Uh, so we don't have time travel, which is inconvenient if you're a scientist for many reasons. Because imagine what you could do with a time, dra- like, time machine and just like... Just geoscience, you could just prove everything within like a day. Like, yep, that's how they yeah, That's right, or, yep, that would be a
1: big time saver. Put a lot of uh, historians but, out of work.
2: Imagine the length of the uh, science, <laughs> you'd never fit that into a nature paper. It'd be like, nice. possible. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> impossible. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so we don't have, you know, scientists don't have these time machines. So what um, scientists in certain parts of the world are, are trying to do more often, although this has kind of been done in Europe for a while, is to look at the historical records, the accounts of people who were actually there hundreds of years ago, and, and using the information that they've described, try and work out where geo-Doom events have taken place. And that can be a volcanic eruption, or it can be an earthquake. And a recent study came out, um, this fantastic study led by the uh, National Autonomous University of Mexico, and they used a mixture of newspaper documents they used accounts from panicked colonial missionaries who were very annoyed about damage to their convents and even aztec documents essentially to work out where earthquakes took place and how powerful they were and how much shaking there would have been at the surface which is very hard to do from like very subjective accounts but they, mm-hmm. they 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 made sure to do it with the only only the ones they were confident with so essentially they filled in the seismic record of a volcanic spine running through central Mexico that had been weirdly quiet, but it turns out it's not been quiet. It's just seismometers that we know have only been around for 110 years or something. Uh, you know, this this giant volcanic belt, unsurprisingly, is quite seismically active. And some of Mexico's biggest cities run through it or are, are along it. So actually, it's actually a really significant, it's not just like, oh, it's curious finding these like tales of old earthquakes you know hidden in these like 500 year old records but actually it's telling people today you can get really big earthquakes where you live but you might not have any generational memory of it so we need to think about this more <laughs> but there's a point today anyway it's not just historians scratching an itch but it is kind of fascinating that you can use these like old documents some which just have symbols no you know glyphs in that are still o- apparently open to interpretation to actually work out specifically where an earthquake happened and and kind of within a ballpark how powerful it was that's pretty cool yeah
0: that's amazing nice.
2: that's amazing so
0: maybe this is a question more for matt but what time period are we talking about
1: here uh no actually this is definitely not the question that, that is me, not sorry. a question <laughs> <laughs> Robin, <laughs> Robin, so, what's the uh period
2: so, um about? it's over the it's basically before like the start of the 20th century back to even though they didn't include it in the paper, I think there was an earthquake at the end of the 15th century. So it's essentially the last 500 years. And so, what the if
0: we could be transported back to that time, but, but this time machine that we're using has an unfortunate side effect, which is that as we go back in time, we also lose all knowledge that we w- that anyone would have gained after that time. Nice. Yeah, that is so inconvenient.
2: Who hey, designed that? Yeah, it's, it's very strange. When you forget how to pilot the time machine. Right. Well again uh, that's
1: why that's why no time travelers ever come back to oh. report success.
2: Right?
1: <laughs> oh, that's the word there must be a. Cl- oh man, this is a
2: doctor thing in the making. Okay, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that is kinda
0: cool, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's why no one's returned. I love that. So they go back and then they it's like amnesia kind of, and then it's like, it what is this back. strange booth I'm in? I really should get out of it. <laughs> I'd better take it apart and turn it into a plow.
2: Yeah. yeah well we need to, if you built if we had someone that could sacrifice themselves to do that, but you built the time machine with enough of, like a big, good enough battery, it would still be working once we dig it up in the present, won't it? Uh, that'd have to be a really good battery, but yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: The battery, all the technology itself loses knowledge of how it's supposed to work. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> just, it just collapses. But but, but the important part is not so much the time machine as fun as that is. I'm going to make a note for a future if. Future on episode. That future episode. <laughs> but... What I'm really intrigued by, and always have been, is basically to get into the mindset of ancient people or pre-science people. And here's an interesting situation I I, I just realized about this. We have missionaries, and we have uh, Native Americans.
1: Uh, Aztecs. Aztecs. Aztecs.
0: Mm -hmm. The missionaries are Catholic, I think. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. And the Aztecs are Aztec. Right. Right. Uh, whatever Mel Gibson... <laughs> actually, Mel Gibson could play both sides of this. story. Okay. So, what was that movie that Mel Gibson? It was actually kind of cool. Apocalypto. Yeah, Apocalypto. Actually, good movie. Check that out. Scary. <laughs> so, how do these two
2: peoples react to earthquakes. I'd imagine they, they both react fairly similarly. So the the, the ways, the codices that the science, which essentially just like uh, books in a way, the Aztec codices that the s- historians and scientists are going through, some of them are written in Nahuata, which is the kind of native dialect, but they're written in Latin characters. So they're kind of slightly easier to interpret. Some are written in just glyphs. So they are slightly harder to interpret. But the thing that I was like crazy fascinated with, with with this is when I was chatting to one of the to a researcher who knows about this sort of thing. He said that it's lo- It's just long been known that there's a, a glyph uh, that just means uh, movement, and it looks like a propeller, basically, um, like an old fashioned you know airplane propeller.
0: Now I have to stop you right there. Why I'm not, I don't want to dwell on this, but I'm just going <laughs> to note. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have planes then. Okay. Just yeah. leave it to you too.
2: What was it? Who is it? Van Donegan? Or, yeah, I don't actually know why there is that familiarity. Uh, maybe it's just because to us it looks like that. But I'm They might have I had think, windmills or something. Mm, as wow. far as I remember, Whirlpools, maybe. Whirlpools. As far as I remember, I think the symbol. I think the symbol is representative of, of a sun like there's a number of suns and one of the suns means movement oh, cool. i think that's what it is nice. totally but, plausible yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah or, or something to sun or eye but anyway th- that symbol has come to mean movement and i think right i know it was described to me as a pr- pr- propeller and my initial thought was hold on a minute <laughs> <laughs> um but when but but when you have this propeller like symbol above like it looks like just you know like a ladder kind of thing, which is the layered earth. It means earthquake, so which is you know very convenient when if you're a seismologist looking through these records and you see that next to a date, that is incredibly convenient.
0: Wow. So it's a, the symbol looks like a propeller over a ladder.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. like a like a squat fat ladder, but yeah. And the ladder is okay. the ladder is buildings. Uh,
2: no, the, la- it, the it's like the layers of the earth. Oh, I see. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm, mm, mm. And um, they don't always appear with dates um, in these codices, as far as I tell. Um, One of them was said to appear near a village or a site that has no modern historical record. So that was kind of cool. (laughs) There's Mm. an earthquake in 1575 that in one one book uh, said it took place near this, this site that doesn't exist, but historians using another Aztec uh, codex uh, found hints of a description that it was some sort of, you know, I think it was a revered site and it was near a volcano, which it does exist today. So that helped the seismologists and the historians work out that it was like 28 miles east of of Puebla, which is the city that's, that's still there, and near this volcano kind of thing. So that's how they
1: use it to kind of pinpoint where yeah. where these earthquakes happen, sort of thing. So the glyph showing the layers uh, of rock is actually really interesting because that suggests that uh, they had a lot of mining experience or at least were looking closely at things like upthrusts and uh, exclusions, right? Um,
2: uh, yeah, and, I guess, yeah, I guess maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe it was just, um, maybe they just, you know, if they dug down deep enough, they there was, you know, there's the the layers of rocks changed so shallowly that they or they could have seen it in a cliff, but I don't really know. Actually, yeah. I, I don't. I'm not really sure. Now, didn't they?
0: They did they mine for gold or that would they just find like the, the the conquistadors were after the gold, right? Among yeah, the
1: the Aztecs had uh, gold and copper, but pretty much nobody in the pre-modern period dug very deep. Um, mm-hmm. It's very hard to mine with pre-modern tech.
0: Now, certainly, if you walk into any canyon or anything like that. You you mm. see layers. I mean, layers mm-hmm. are pretty common to see. So, that's so, so basically, what we can see here is that the Aztecs' reaction, one of their reactions, was to write it down.
2: Yeah, which is just the best reaction. For, for I <laughs> really appreciate like, that. <laughs> that's <laughs> pretty so. smart.
0: That's pretty yeah. smart. Um, I mean, they had to take time out from ripping out the hearts, the live beating hearts yeah. of sacrificial uh, victims, but Take time out to take a note. So, do we have any sense of? What, so they would write that down, and then would they describe their experience, or how would they? Yeah. I they would
2: attribute uh, it to some god. I'm guessing. Um, I, I don't actually. I don't know if they did in this particular. In the case of this particular earthquake, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, this, this one was conveniently. So, in a lot of in a lot of glyphs, they're written in these, like I so said, these kind of symbols, and and they're still being kind of act, they're still actively debates as to what some of them might mean so i'm not uh, sure how uh, certain people are but in this particular codex in the for the 1575 quake it was in one that was written in latin characters very convenient and there was a in terms of the experience they had they actually the, the detail was was really useful because they explained that a surface crack appeared after the ground shook and it was measured in i'm probably butchering the pronunciation but by brazes blazers anyway mm. 2,800 wow. blazers and that is a known unit of water depth and it's roughly equal to the length of two outstretched arms so scientists use that to work out that the crack which was probably the fault because this is quite a shallow earthquake was three miles long and then using that they worked out that it was probably a magnitude 5.7 earthquake and one that was followed by several aftershocks because they said that the ground shook for four, four or five days and no single earthquake would continuously shake for that long. So it must be a big main shock and then lots of aftershocks. That's so cool. Um, but generally speaking, what
0: did uh, the um, the Aztecs in particular, or if we're, if we're not sure on those exact details, sort of just in general, ancient people in general, mm. how did they, so, so we've gone back in time and we are now have their mindset. We don't know anything about, Anything other than what we are taught by, I suppose, our parents and and high priests or shamans. And so, what what is our experience? What, what do we think when an earthquake happens?
2: Uh, well, I mean, like across cultures generally, for a long, long time, earthquakes are generally attributed to, you know, some degree of supernatural entity. You know, I. Isn't there that legend in Japan that, that an earthquake is created by a giant fish just like jumping up and down? Like an earthquake in uh, yeah, a scene all the earthquakes. Yeah. I think a carp specifically. Yeah. <laughs> That'll That's do it. Fantastic. Yeah, oh. yeah. Jumping up and down in the water or jumping out of the water and
1: moving around anyway. I can't remember exactly what kind bus. of motion it is. Yeah.
2: A <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like it's the same with um one of the most, one of the most like you know, famous tales in in this sense of like how modern science is linking with, of appreciating and understanding, you know, uh, older cultures is the 1700 Cascadia earthquake up in the Pacific Northwest, because that was described in, 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 a manner of speaking in various, uh, Native American stories about the Thunderbird and the whale. And there was a big fight between a giant Thunderbird and a whale. Mm-hmm. And in some stories, the Thunderbird is the hero and sometimes he's the villain. Sometimes there's a third character. But the general gist is these stories tend to describe like a lot of earth shaking, basically a tsunami. And they kind of, a lot of them date around the time, basically like a magnitude nine earthquake happened in the Pacific Northwest, caused a giant tsunami. And it went all the way across to Japan where they called it the, well, someone there called it the orphan tsunami because it didn't have an earthquake accompanying it. And they knew- already way by that point every time you yeah Yeah. earthquakes are associated with tsunamis so that one didn't and they could well someone some savvy person called it the orphan tsunami and you know and they and that was so well described in japan like the amount of damage the height of the waves you know the kind of speed in which they came in the time that it was you know it was super useful to, to seismologists and you know disaster research and stuff but yeah i mean like there is there is that element of like we don't they don't know what exactly is causing these things and for like hundreds and thousands of years no one knew what was causing them so they're generally attributed to something you know
1: all-powerful yeah my just, my sense of these is it's usually something um alive right because mm. the the motion of the earth sort of makes it like a living thing for a moment um and it's usually so the european version of this i can't remember which which god or deity is supposed to live under Mount Etna? Is it, um,
2: isn't it, is it Vulcan?
1: Is it Vulcan? Ooh. It could be, but I can't, I can't remember. Um, uh, um, I'll check. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> yeah, but the, there's often this sense of um, whatever the, this entity is is sleeping for a long time and then like rolls over, wakes up for a short period of time, then goes back to sleep. Um, so it's this, it's this kind of animistic explanation for why the earthquakes come and go
0: so let's say let's take that example let's say we go back to there what time period might we be talking about there where uh, well
1: let's do 15th century mexico right
0: right or or what i was going to say just if if i'm imagining that in mount etna there's
1: a sleeping god oh i see so that would be like um uh, roman greek era so right so i'm, so
0: I'm in I'm um, i'm a Roman. <laughs> and considering all the spaghetti Congrats. I've eaten, that it could be. Um, do I think, like, do I literally think there is a God inside that mountain who just woke up and rolled over? Like, if I were to climb into that mountain, I would find the God?
1: Well, I think the answer is that uh, there's going to be a great diversity of belief. So there are some people who will definitely believe that is literally true. And then there are some people who might have studied uh, Aristotle's writings on earthquakes and uh, decide there's a naturalistic explanation. um, That is, that there are just uh, physical forces that make this happen. And there are some people that are going to believe a mix of both.
0: Ah, interesting. Which would be a little bit more like our time. Yeah. Or or those... uh, um the missionaries in Mexico did they? Yeah. How did they? So the,
1: feel? the missionaries would be representing um, the the best of European knowledge at the time, mm. which will still be a, a heady mix of both of these. Um, that is the sense that there's some kind of divine providence behind disasters like earthquakes, uh, but also a recognition <laughs> that there are clearly natural forces at work too. So actually, about a um, in, in the middle of the period. Uh, robin's article is talking about there's this jesuit missionary named athanasius kircher who um writes essentially the first major european book on the nature of volcanoes Mm. um and it's got this awesome title what is it oh the volcanoes or burning and fire vomiting mountains famous in the (laughs) world
2: what (laughs) Um, I've got to get that into an article somewhere. That's right. And it's and I should say
1: and a lot of the, the information in there comes from these studies done by missionaries in the New World. So this process yeah. of the missionaries writing down these Aztec histories kind of form the early foundation for the modern field of of uh, volcanology. Wow. Mm.
2: That's wild. Yeah, and, and- the details is amazing as well. There's that like the one of the other things that came up on the thing was a in 1568 so even earlier than the the one that was used the asset codices were used for and it describes like the 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 liquefaction of the soil which basically is when it turns into like a fluid and moves around mm, landslides yeah. cracked all over the ground you know they they describe which wells suddenly flooded and which didn't and you know you can use all this information to work out oh it's a magnitude 7.2 event you know give or take uh, a little bit sort of thing so the oh. detail is like crazy good in these in these
1: accounts. Yeah, yeah. they're really careful recorders. Mm. Interesting.
2: they want to get renew remunerations from the church for damages to their convents as well. Oh, is that right? Um in um in California, like early on as well, you know, um when there were plenty of missionaries still there, you know, I'm sure they still are, but you know what I mean. Um, um with uh, convents and churches, the reason one of the reasons they were asked they wanted to describe the damage from earthquakes to their convents and churches so much as so that the, the Catholic church would pay them back for their, for the damage to their high walled ceilings. Yeah. So, so
0: basically it's like an insurance, you know, uh, a record like, Hey, yeah. you know, we need, we're, and, and in order to get our insurance, we got to really milk it here. More
2: detail. <laughs> more money <laughs> that's the thing as well you have to be careful like they're, they're saying you have to be careful because you have to be careful to work out like what what is truth and what is someone actually embellishing it a little bit just to make it sound a bit more dramatic <laughs> apparently that's quite tricky um,
1: yeah, that's not so easy at all no. no. <laughs> um,
2: Yeah.
0: so this yeah. is an incredible period here where we really have if we think just in terms of science mm. two world views kind of coming together so we have the the aztecs who i don't i don't know how much do you guys have any idea how, how much of what we would call science they had or or are they really
1: just uh, myth-based yeah they knew an intense amount about the natural world um both, uh, uh geological and biological um and were competent astronomers they weren't as good as the mayans but uh, really rich and deep. So I should say, you know, these uh, uh, it's not an accident that the missionaries are copying down these Aztec records because they realize very quickly that the locals know the land much better than they do, and they try to take advantage of that. And there's, there's an important sense in which when all of this information comes back to Europe, that helps kickstart the scientific revolution.
0: Whoa. So they're da- data mining in the new world.
1: And literally mining, yeah.
0: And literally <laughs> mining, yeah, and shipping that back and it's changing the world.
2: It's it's a really good example of how you can't like this kind of field is a really good example of how you can't fully understand a, a, a region without taking into account the regional and historical cultural like context of things because if you just dive in and try and you know you, you're just going to slow yourself down even if you work something out eventually, you know. <laughs> all these all this rich detail and information that's already been written about. Maybe in a different way, to how you would write it, but it's still there, and it just needs kind of translating. So it's like a language problem, really. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Now, do we know
0: what what was the situation where you had a native person writing this down using Latin letters, but but speaking his own language?
2: I see. I don't know about this. This is this is slightly too beyond my thing. I yeah. I was kind of initially very. Because I uh, first thought all these codices were written in glyphs, and some of them were written in Latin characters. The one that was used to pinpoint that earthquake, the one that opened like the three-mile-wide crack in the ground, I think was written around the time of or shortly after the conquest by the Spanish, you know, empire. So maybe I'm guessing it's something to do with the fact that after that happened, there was a It was like an adoption or use, you know, of Latin characters to describe things in some way, but I don't actually, I'm not actually sure. This is
1: tough. I don't, I'm not familiar with this specific one, but it's, it was a fairly common practice for European missionaries to try to create a transliteration Mm -hmm. system of the local language, but using Latin characters so they do this for Hawaiian and Javanese. It's, it's a, a, a sort of standard thing to do um, as a first step to getting people to learn the European language. Wow. It's like the closest thing they could come
0: to recording the sound.
1: Yep, that's exactly it. And I should say that's why, mm-hmm. for instance, um, all of early Hawaiian is, is written in these Latin characters. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the
2: uh, Romanji in Japanese, you know, when it's written out in, in a way that, yeah,
1: exactly. Know, right.
2: Essentially. Yeah. Westerners can kind of understand, say what the characters are actually pronounced as. Interesting.
0: Interesting. So, um, did the missionaries, or the Catholics, uh, my, my guess is that, uh, like you said, yeah, there's a range of interpretation among, you know, the huge number of people who are part of the church, but, um, a big part of it is retribution
2: like somebody did something wrong well, there's i mean there was i don't know i'm not sure about these particular cases but you i'm sure there's something in it because there was this huge earthquake in lisbon yeah um, you know in the oh god
1: 1755
2: it, i 17, think yeah yeah that's that, that that's it um and that was depending on who you asked that was either that was punishment from that was either just nothing no punishment at all like there were some people that were like well this isn't related to anything supernatural or it was blamed on progressive or regressive political value like it, there was people blamed it on anything basically they're like oh this is a sign that we're doing the wrong thing or this is a sign we're doing the right thing and it wasn't
1: there was they basically it was basically used to attribute to anything anyone wanted um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Elizabeth earthquakes <laughs> an amazing sort of um a uh, litmus test for everybody <laughs> among European intellectuals. Like, do you do you think it's a sign that God is happy with us? Does it, is it a sign that God is angry with us? It a sign that God doesn't care about us at all? It's uh, one of the most written about events like of the eighteenth century.
0: Uh, yeah. wow! And so, just tell me, what what is that story? What happened there?
1: Oh, the Lisbon earthquake? So, essentially, um, uh, Lisbon, which at the time was one of the great cities uh, of Europe, um, is destroyed on uh, All Saints Day of all times. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so it's destroyed by an earthquake, subsequent tsunami, and fires. So it's just the story of one of the the great (laughs) cities being completely destroyed at a a time when Europe thought of itself as being really ascendant and sort of on top of the world.
0: And so they they felt ascendant and yet here comes this well that's
1: right so it becomes an intel- intellectual crisis like how do you explain that one of the great cities was destroyed in this way
0: ah oh, wow so how do you... <laughs> this is <laughs> fascinating that, that that becomes a philosophical crisis because yeah. if we really so so they really believed enough and there was a, a, a sizable portion of the population believed that ascendant meant we should not have bad things happen. We should have less and less, fewer and fewer bad things happen to us.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, if you know, Portugal is is conquering the world at the time. You know, it's probably the largest empire in the world at the time. Uh, so the fact that their capital gets smacked down all of a sudden, um, <laughs> maybe that. You know, how do you reconcile those things? It caused like all kinds of
2: like political upheaval as well. There's this the country's permanent secretary kind of used this event to consolidate his power and, and and like put in all these like sweeping centralized economic reforms and things like that. And he, he, he stopped, they decided that the country would stop trading with Britain around the time sort of thing. And, you know, I think there's an estimate that the country lost something like, like almost half of its GDP. Yeah. Amazing amount. Yeah. 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 Um, So, yeah it was it was it was pretty pretty bad it was a bad day to be in portugal for sure
0: yeah but and, <laughs> and this leader could use could could legitimately or at least as legitimately as leaders can with their basically it was fake news but he may or may not have thought it was fake that <laughs> this disaster was caused by you know it,
2: it, mismanagement <laughs> mm. in the in the <laughs> yeah. provinces yeah. uh yeah that's right and, and, and- the, the 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 writer Voltaire who had one of the best I think it was him who had one of the best but he had the best last line in ever I think I think when he was on his deathbed he said something when someone's like do you want to pray to God and renounce your sins and he said something like I don't want to take sides <laughs> which is a great last thing to say um, <laughs> but like during after this event he basically rallied against people that said oh it's some divine intervention that there was this catastrophe because he basically pointed to london and paris and all their hedonistic pleasures and they're like you know he said something like lisbon is destroyed but they still dance in paris you know <laughs> so it's uh so he was annoyed that anyone was attributing it to anything beyond human realm so it, just, it made yeah. a lot of people very angry i think it's safe to say lastly
0: be, before we get back in our time machine accidentally we stumble in drunk
2: uh some paradox
0: yeah yeah <laughs> Stum- yeah we stumble in or you know we spoke some we were visiting the shaman maybe a little bit too late <laughs> and uh we come stumbling out of you know uh doing some cool cave art or whatever and uh what i'm always struggling with is how literal um people felt so we can always say there was a yeah. wide range but but do we think maybe this is more a question do we think that the majority of people really felt li- like that these things were literally true like for instance the the aztecs have amazing well you know as all cultures do but amazing stories of the gods you know the rain god and this and that yeah
1: i mean the answer is we don't really know it's a good way to get a fight started among <laughs> a group of historians <laughs> if you're so inclined because really what the the way you answer that question doesn't really rely on sources. It relies on how you think, how how you as a modern person, think about people in the past. So if you think about people in the past as being just like us and sort of rational and literal, then you'll interpret their statements that way. If you think of them as being crazed savages that don't understand the world around them, then you'll interpret it that way. Um, So the answer is we don't really know.
0: And I can say just from a personal standpoint, you know, I haven't given a shout out to my mother in a while. She was, she, she, I was gonna say she was, she is very superstitious in a way. So, if something bad were to happen, you know, if she stubbed her toe or whatever, she'd say, Oh, I'm, you know, God is mad at me, I must have done something wrong. And I grew up in that and then got, you know, poisoned by the mind of Carl Sagan and got interested in science and <laughs> threw away superstition. And I still cannot, you know, five decades later, whatever, I cannot shake. That feeling, at least in, in the in the moment, you know, oh, what did I what did I do to deserve this? I guess. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: this is it's kind of a very human thing to do, really, isn't it? It's just like yeah, you know, yeah. It just see, everything seems improbable on a human scale, you know. And then you zoom out and you're like, oh, it's a lot of really random, nasty, and amazing stuff happening all at once. <laughs> just hard to see when you're on the ground.
0: That's true. Which always ends, you know. that We always have a limit. So beyond that, who knows? God of the yeah. gaps. Uh, so, so the fun. So then, the 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 moral of the story is: as we stumbled into our time machine and, uh, you know, fell asleep, and our hand accidentally hit the start button or whatever. Return, uh, return to sender. <laughs> we return, and we still can't shake. The, you know, we're still stuck in this place of like, well, I don't know. Maybe there is a god sleeping
1: in that mountain. Maybe there is a carp. Jumping up and down. Yeah, That's right. I mean, what explanation do you have for why you happen to hit the button uh, as you were falling asleep, right? God made you do it. Yeah. That's true. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Um, God made us do this
0: episode. And so, uh, listeners, I hope you feel it was a reward <laughs> and not a Lisbon earthquake uh, for you, the punishment <laughs>
2: <laughs> or oh, sodomy. That's, that's quite a new term, like for a, like an omni shambles to the extreme, like a Lisbon quake.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Replacing the old Sodom and Gomorrah problem. Uh,
2: yeah, another great <laughs> more, more up to date.
0: Another great story. Wow. Thank you for this. This this was a globe trotting, not to, a time trotting, as well as globe trotting mm-hmm. adventure.
1: If fish trotting,
0: yeah, fish f- fish trotting. If <laughs> I think we have a T-shirt there, <laughs> <laughs> which, by the way, listeners, we are uh, as all podcasts must must. Uh, we're um, going to be starting a t-shirt sales collection. We're looking into it. I can't say at all when that will exactly start. But if you have suggestions for slogans you would like, then send them in. Feedback at whattheif.com. Robin, thank you for this incredible adventure. Do you have a story coming up? In, you know, what are you working on now, or what's coming up?
2: Uh, yeah, it's well, it's it's one of those things where I'm at the end of a few features, but there's there's. There was an expedition to a volcano recently, very like far from anyone, and scientists have been able to do something rather remarkable with it. At, but I still can't tell you what it is. Oh, that's good. It's a tease. No, that's good. Within before the end of the month, this will be out, and um, it will be out in in the New York Times. This one. So this one is a this is a cool. This is very cool. It's my favorite thing I've ever worked on. So looking forward. Wow. To it. Something something underwater volcano. Something something
0: wow fantastic in the New York Times coming up which I am a subscriber and we can always put a shout out to uh, to help journalists like Robin if you read any whatever your print news uh, source is subscribe if you can Matt anything coming up for you
1: uh, yes, I'll be in California giving lectures November 11th and 12th. Excellent.
0: Robin, in the gratitude, you are going to receive what I believe now will be your second finger puppet. I know,
2: oh, I know. Very I've, I've, to, I've definitely had to keep that away from the puppy who is currently in the <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, We need paw puppets in addition to finger puppets. Yeah. <laughs> that finger puppet will be receiving a lively companion. I think, well, p- well, I mean, it is terrified well. on its own of the puppy. Somebody so to talk to. Yeah. Support. And in fact, this raises you to you were super iffer for having it's the You were you a super could... iffer, but now you are a mega iffer. I <laughs>
2: that, sounds, that sounds imposing. Yes. you you yeah. by my own legacy now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> As we send our viewers and ourselves off into the future. Robin, you may remember that we have a ritual here, how we end the show.
2: Yes, oh, I've got my raincoat ready. Ah, good.
0: Excellent, <laughs> excellent. And so, Matt, tell us, why, why do we do this?
1: Um, uh, we become overwhelmed by the sublime possibilities of what-ifs may yet lurk out there. As yet hidden in undiscovered Aztec records, <laughs> and uh, we, we we shout into the cosmos, um, <laughs> uh, our horror yeah. as the as the Aztec
0: calendar wheel turns. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got chills. We scream. Whoa. What the!